0: We're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And I wanted to show you something. This morning in Bay City, Michigan, a new Radiant Church is launching. They're having their service. It's going on right now. There they are setting up. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, that we have a building because I remember those days. (laughs) But it's cool to see what God is doing there. And we've been able to give very generously uh, to see this church launch and be a part of all of that. And they've just been so blown away and just so grateful for our support. In our heart for them. Uh, so thank you that you allow us to be able to do that. The world needs more churches, and so we're happy to be able to be a part of sending more people and helping make that a reality. So God, this morning, we're so grateful for Radiant Church in Bay City, for Marco and Carrie, Lord, and that the, you've called them, that they've responded to you for their entire team. And Jesus, we pray that right now as they're gathering, God, that you would be doing something miraculous in their midst, that your presence would be there in an undeniable way. And Jesus, what's birthed this morning would continue to grow and expand because we want to see your kingdom continue to come and your will being done all over this world. And Jesus, especially this morning in Bay City. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, if you're a guest this morning, thank you so much for being here. We know there are a lot of things you could have done, but you chose to be here with us this morning, and we're so grateful for that. In the seat back in front of you, there are some communication cards. We'd love to have you fill one of those out, and you can turn it in at the uh, guest central on your way out. We have a little gift for you there, and then this week you get an email from me welcoming you to the church and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. And also, next week is the start of something new for us. We are starting at the movies, and yeah. I'm excited. Some of you don't care about that. There's going to be bees. Now someone will get excited, right? No, we won't have those. Those are actually terrible. We're doing Mike and Ikes. But what it is at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock a.m., we're doing two services. We just take uh, one theme from a movie, pare it down, so it's a very simple presentation of a biblical truth. And then I'll get up and I'll tie it all together and I'll present the gospel in the most clear and powerful way that I possibly can. It's a super easy invite for all of your friends, family, coworkers, people that you meet on the streets. And so I encourage you, get out there, invite, invite, pray, 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 because it's going to be incredible to see what God does through all of that. And then if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14. We're taking a little break. We're still in Luke. We'll be in that for the next, oh, 70 years or so. And we're skipping ahead, though, because uh, there's a verse that, really has been striking out to me. This is, we've been around five years. This Saturday will be our five-year anniversary for Radiant Church Ann Arbor. This is the 21-year anniversary for Radiant Church Kalamazoo. This is a time when churches get planted. And this is a verse that really was on my heart when we planted the church before we did that. And it's been something that has really been just stirring inside of me for this entire time. So I wanted to revisit it as we're looking at what God has for us in this fifth year together. And this morning, my, my little, not my little sister, she's shorter than me, but my big sister who's shorter than me, Jenny, she's back here. She's the, the one that's walking around taking photos. Um, and growing up, my sister and I, we loved each other, and we didn't really like each other. <laughs> now we like and love each other, so it's amazing to see what God's done. And I love my sister and her husband and family that are all here. And one of the things that I love most about Jenny is that she just has a heart for other people. Uh, When she went away to college, actually before that, she was always inviting people over to the house. Uh, You could tell if someone didn't have friends because they got invited over to our house and she was going to be their new best friend. I remember when she went to college, she would always come home and she'd be bringing a different guy home. That sounds bad. She'd be bringing different, it was usually a guy because nobody wants to hang out with guys. But on the weekends, we'd have Thanksgiving, Christmas, different things like that. And she'd always befriend people that were usually uh, you know, from out of state or even out of country, and they didn't have family or friends around, so she'd always invite them to our house. And at our house, there was always a place for you. Uh, we love to cook, we love getting together for the holidays and celebrating them together, and there was nothing more sad or wrong in this world than someone that didn't have anybody else or family to spend time with on a holiday, so... We'd all cook, and we'd prepare, and it'd be a big event, and uh, we'd gather everybody around in our small little living room. People would be sitting on each other's laps almost because we just wanted more and more people to come in. It wasn't right. It wasn't acceptable that someone was going to be by themselves on a holiday without some other people to eat with. And uh, Ann and I, we still do that. Uh, so if you ever get invited over to a house, and we feel bad for you. So, <laughs> so just come over. And even sometimes when I see people at restaurants, it kind of weirds people out. But if I see someone sitting by themselves eating, I just feel so bad for them. And I'm like, no, come, come sit with me. And if it's an old person, they usually love that and take me up on it. If they're young, they think you're a serial killer. And they're like, no, like, stay away. I'm away from my family and my kids. I'm having three seconds of peace, so just leave me alone. But that's just the way that we are. We've got to have people over. And I remember this one year, she had Lucas over. ...who had been kicked out of Kenya for being too political, and so he came to the States, and he was studying at Calvin College, where my sister was, and she invited him home for Thanksgiving, and it was his first Thanksgiving, they got to celebrate with us, and so he comes, and he's sitting at the table, doesn't know any of us, we're doing our best to try to make him feel welcome, and it's probably really awkward... And we're passing the food around, and you know, on Thanksgiving, there's just an insane amount of food and lots of dishes that you usually don't have anyways, and so if you're not from this culture, there's all kinds of food that you've never seen before, and you don't know what to do with it, so we're passing around, and he takes the mashed potatoes, and he's, polite, he's taking everything, he knows I've got to try everything, I don't want to offend the host or anything, so he has his mashed potatoes and then the applesauce comes around. And he takes the applesauce and he's, I don't know, it's just like piling it on top of his mashed potatoes. Like he thought it was gravy or something. And we're like, oh, like, do we say something to him? We don't want to make it weirder than it already is, but he's gonna taste it and it's gonna be terrible. So finally we're like, oh, hey Lucas, uh, applesauce doesn't go on the mashed potatoes. We don't worry about it, we'll just get you a new plate. And he's like, Oh no, no, that's fine, don't worry about it, I'll eat it. And we're like, no, please. Please don't eat the applesauce with the mashed potatoes. It's going to be so bad. He's like, no, no, I insist. It's going to be all right. He takes one bite, and he's like, I think I would like another plate, please. (laughs) (laughs) And I loved it. And, you know, now we all laugh about it. He probably felt humiliated, but we loved Lucas, and uh, he got to fit in and be a part of our family for a weekend. And when you invite people in, A lot of times they don't understand the norms and the customs and the cultures of what's going on, and they might do some kind of weird things. But in our family, we had to have our house full. We had to invite people in that didn't belong in our family. People that weren't a natural part of our family had to be welcomed in. And there were two reasons for that. And the first one is because our heart was just for them. It just broke our hearts to see people that didn't have love, that didn't have a connection, that didn't have other people that they could spend time with. We just had to have them over because our heart went out for them. And the second reason for that was because so much effort and work goes into preparing the meal that you don't want it to go to waste. A lot of labor goes into preparing the Thanksgiving Day meal. and When nobody shows up, and you've probably done that, you're getting a meal together, inviting all of your friends to come or family, you're, you're putting a lot of money into it, you're putting time into it, you're looking at Pinterest recipes and absolutely just desecrating those things. And then everybody starts canceling out and you start getting mad because you put all of this time and effort into preparing this meal. It's too much of a waste. You don't want people to not have connection and love and you don't want your labor and your efforts to go to waste. What I didn't understand at the time was that my parents were teaching me and they were modeling and demonstrating to me the heart of our Heavenly Father because that's the way that He is. And we read about that Um, Jesus is teaching in a parable in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 23. It says, But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the servant of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now, as we're looking at this, what's happened is that the master has put great effort and great labor into preparing a banquet for a certain group of people that he was inviting in. The time for it comes, and they all start making excuses, and I love these excuses. And actually, if, if you look back, if you know Leviticus, there are actually different excuses for why people can get excused from having to go to war, and these are them. So Jesus is actually kind of mocking people for their lame excuses for things. Uh, it's like, I have a wife, you can't go eat now? Like, what's going on there? That's stupid. But they're all coming with these different excuses for why it is that they can't come to enjoy what it is that's been prepared for them. And when we're looking at the story, it's really important for us to identify who's who in this parable, because a parable, this isn't something that really actually happened, but it's an illustration. Jesus is using this to teach a principle to all of those who are hearing it and to us today. And so when we're looking at this, what we have to realize about the banquet is that the banquet is life with God. That's what it's talking about, is that what has been prepared for us is a life knowing God, knowing him intimately, knowing him deeply. We were created to have intimate, deep connection with God. It's the normal default setting for all of creation is that we were made to know God. And at the banquet table, the life of knowing God is a life that's filled with purpose. It's a life that's filled with peace. It's a life that's filled with contentment, healing, joy, uh, reconciliation, all of these things, this incredible, overwhelming love that we know and experience. This is the banquet that God has prepared for us. That's the banquet that we were invited into. And we are the guest that the banquet was prepared for. When Adam and Eve were created, they awoke into full knowledge of God. They walked with him in the cool of the evening, it says. They conversed with God. They knew him deeply, and they knew him intimately. That was the way that they were always supposed to have existed. It's the way that we are supposed to exist today. But we are also the guest who refused the invitation. And that's kind of the kicker in all of this. We're the ones that even though God created this incredible life for us that we were always supposed to know and that we were always supposed to be living out, we're the ones that came up with excuses for why we didn't want to live according to this. We're the ones who... When God was calling us to him, when God was saying, this is what I want to provide for you, we said, God, I bought some oxen. I need to go check those things out. But really what that's speaking of is that's riches. If you had five oxen at that time, that meant that you could cover a hundred acre field. Most people had two acres. So that means this is like a corporate conglomeration type of a farmer. They have a lot of money. What he's saying is that the money, the material, the business that I'm building, those things are more important to me than life with you, God. Uh, The guy who got married, what he's saying is that the relationships that I, have Uh, how many of you know that a good marriage is a gift from God but even the marriage itself can become an idol that you put before God your family I mean one of the biggest American idols that we have is family and we can put family and time with our family and knowing our family even ahead and in the place of knowing God and receiving from him everything that he wants to give to us there were so many things and every time we sinned what we did was we said God Excuse me from the life that you called me to. Every time we chose something over him, we were saying, God, the banquet that you prepared for me, the life that you've called me to, I'm not really interested in it. I want something else. And then we become those who instead of living in a full knowledge of God, living in healing, living in blessing, living in the prospering of our souls with peace and contentment and joy, we become those who are separated from him. We become those who, instead of receiving the blessings of God, become those who really deserve the wrath of God. But here's the heart of the Father. Is that even though we rejected him, even though we despised him, even though we decided that everything else in this world was more important to us than God was in, in the life that he had called us to was, he still invited us in because even though we're the guest who refused him, we're also the outcast that are invited in. Even though our identity changed and we went from being the guest who was prepared for and we became the outcast, the heart of the Father is still, I'm calling you anyways. You might have refused me, you might have rejected me, and everything that I had for you, all of the good things I'd prepared for you. You might have chosen something else instead of that, but still. I'm calling you in. That's the way he tells the servant, I want you to go out, and I want you to invite in the lame, I want you to invite in the crippled, I want you to invite in the poor. These weren't the people that you would normally invite to a banquet, especially, like last week I was talking about, the whole system of patronage. What you do with a meal when you threw the banquet, you invited the very best people to it. You invited those that had power, you invited those who had authority and influence, because then they would owe you a favor. But now God is saying, I want you to go out and not to invite in those people. I want you to invite in the outcast. The people who were crippled, they were ceremonially unclean. They thought that they were deserving the wrath of God, that they were crippled because they had done something or that their parents had done something and now God was punishing them and they were crippled because of that. The people who were blind, it was the same thing. the poor, those are the people that have no power and no influence in the society. There was nothing that any of these people could do to repay the host of the banquet for what it was that they were receiving. But still they were invited in, and that 's the picture of us we 're the crippled, we 're the poor, we 're the lame. We don 't like to think of ourselves that way, but it 's the truth and it 's the reality of who we are and how we find ourselves. And other people might look at us in our weakness and they might despise us. Other people might look at us and hate us. And that's why we put so much effort into trying to cover up all of our issues. We don't want people to know and and to be vulnerable with other people because we're afraid of how they're going to judge us or how they'll condemn us or cast us away if they really see our heart, if they really know how broken we are on the inside. But the heart of the Father isn't to despise you or to keep you away from those things. It's not to invite just those who can repay him and to enjoy the banquet he's prepared. He says, I want specifically to invite these people in, the people who can never repay me, the people who don't deserve what it is I've prepared for them. I want you to be able to be vulnerable with me. I see that you're lame. I see that you're broken. I see that you're sick and that you're poor. But I still am inviting you into my banquet. I'm calling you in. So the servant goes out and he invites all of the blind and the lame and the poor in, all to come and to enjoy the banquet that's there waiting for them. But still there's room. And so God says, I want you to go out again and I want you to go to the highways and to the hedges and to compel people to come in. The highways and the hedges, that's the next layer out. These are the people that are the thieves. These are the people that aren't just down on their luck These are the people that have been forcibly kicked out of society because they're such a bad person. And God says, I even want you to go to these. I want you to go to the rapists and the murderers. I want you to go to the thieves and the liars and the drunkards and the prostitutes. I want you to go to them and I want you to invite them to come in to the banquet that I have prepared. And that's us. That's who we can identify with in this story. And God's heart for us is so good that in spite of the fact that that's who we are, he knows that and he invites us in so that we can receive from him, so that we can enjoy the things that he has to give us, so that he can give us a new life, so that we can have life restored with him. And then also in the story, we are the servants inviting others in. God didn't just call you into the banquet table. He didn't just invite you in to spend time with his family. But he told you to go out and to invite other people in as well. He told you to go out and to invite the blind, the lame, the crippled. He told you to go out and to invite the homeless. He told you to go out to invite the prostitutes and the drunkards. He told you to go out and to invite every type of a person that you can possibly find. And what he tells you to do is that we have to compel them to come in. We have to compel them. That means to be forceful, not like, you know, physically forceful. But it means that we go out there and we do whatever it takes to compel someone to come in. And I know that we can compel people because I see what we post on social media. You all are passionate people for every cause that you post about. We know how to compel people. But we don't compel people for the right things even if you get someone to see things how you see them politically, even you get people to see that we need to support dog shelters or or whatever it is that you're into, the greatest thing in all of this world is that there's an invitation for every person to come in and to sit at the banquet table of our Father. That there's an invitation for every person who's hurt, who's broken, who's poor, who's been rejected, despised, who's messed up their life, who's fallen short of God's glory. There's an invitation for every person who's been cast out by society, for every person who's ever been abused, every person on the face of this earth. There's nothing that anyone has done that disqualifies them from this invitation to come and to sit at the table to receive new life from our Father, to receive peace and healing and salvation and wholeness from him. Every person is invited into this. And our job is to go out and to compel people to come in. We're the servants that God is sending. If we want to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that we just try to, okay, God, here's what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. I'll serve, I'll give, I'll do all those things, and just keep me away from other people. I don't have to do anything weird. No, that's not an option for us. If you want to be a faithful servant of Jesus and a follower of Jesus then one of his commands to you and to me and to every other believer is that we're to go out and we're to compel people to come in. We're to use every resource that we have. We're supposed to use our time. We're supposed to use our energy, our efforts. You're supposed to use every relationship that you have. Uh, Use your giving. Everything that we have, how do we use it and leverage every resource so that we can compel people to come in? Because there's no greater issue in all of this world than the salvation that has been made available to every single one of us. There's nothing greater than that. And this is what happens to me. There's times when I get frustrated by the people that I'm trying to compel, and I don't always compel them well. And there's times like, I'm giving up. No more. Then here's the reality that we don't like to talk about a lot in church. Is that every single one of us is going to spend an eternity somewhere. There's the eternity that we all deserve, and that's eternal separation from our Father. That's hell. And there's the eternity that we don't deserve, which is putting our faith in Jesus, accepting the invitation to the table, and freely receiving new life and salvation and hope and healing and restoration and reconciliation from him. And that's relationship with God now, and it's full relationship with God for all of eternity, living with a new created heaven, new earth, new bodies that we receive, That's one of those two is what's going to happen to every single person on the face of this earth. And that means that everything that I have, every dollar I have, every minute that I have, every frustration that I encounter, every time I want to quit, it's all worth it. So that if even just one of my friends or one of my family members or one person at the coffee shop that I go to, if just one of them makes a decision to accept the invitation and come in and find what it is that Jesus wants to do inside of their hearts, That means it was worth it. That means that I lived my life well. That means that I was a faithful servant. And when I stand before the Son of God, I won't stand before him with fear and trembling, but I'll stand before him and I'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you went out and you compelled people to come in and to receive the same thing that you received in your life. Enter into the eternal reward. And you know what that reward is? It's that those people are in heaven for all of eternity every other reward that you get in this life will mean nothing like i have this karate trophy from a tournament that i was in and my son thinks it's the coolest thing in the world because it's huge and i'm like i, I honestly don't care i lost in the finals like this is a reminder of failure to me but like it's shiny and it's big and it's bright and so to a 5 year old it's as tall as him he's like this is the greatest thing i want it can i have it i'm like no you have to earn it like <laughs> you can't just like have a trophy But we have other things, like our new rewards are like, if I save my money and I'm really financially wise and kind of cheap with my friends, then maybe I can retire real well someday. And that's the reward. And you know what? You still die and your kids get all of your stuff. (laughs) If you work really hard and put in tons of hours and you go beyond and you sacrifice time with your family so you can climb the corporate ladder, what's your reward? You might make more money. You might get your name on a plaque somewhere. I love this. When I go to Michigan Health now or whatever they call it, I see the plaques of all the people that ran the hospital. That's a pretty important position. That's hard to get to that position. Nobody ever knows those people or remembers them except for the few weirdos like me that like to look at the plaques. All of their accomplishments now mean nothing. And this is the reality I think of. I don't know the names of any of my great-grandparents except one because she lived to be 102 years old, and I actually got to meet her, and we were pen pals. Beyond that, I don't know their names. I don't even know their stories. It's almost like they never lived. That's super depressing. But what's not depressing is that the things that they poured themselves into to invite people into the kingdom of God, that's a reward that lives on forever. Our names will all be forgotten on this earth. Our accomplishments will all be forgotten. The money that we get will be gone. The possessions that we acquire will rust and they will be eaten by moss. Everything that we have in this world will one day be gone. But everything that we put into other people, that lasts forever. I want to put my life into serving others. I want to spend my whole life compelling people to come into the kingdom of God and finding what it is that I found in him. And when I get to heaven... I'm going to get to see the reward for my efforts. When I look around and I see that there are people who are there because I laid my life down for them. When I see that there are people who are there for all of eternity because I spent my time, my efforts, my money, and everything else so that they could know Jesus and they could find life in him now and forevermore. That's the way that I want to live my life. Because that's the life that counts. That's the life that makes a difference. And this is what God says. He says, my house must be full. This is why he's inviting everybody in. This is why he doesn't just say, everybody canceled out on me, forget it, I'm going to eat it all myself, or just burn it or whatever. He's not willing to accept the fact that his house is empty. He says, my house must be full. This is revealing the heart behind God. If you want to know something about God, look to this to see his motivation behind everything that he's doing on the face of this earth. We deserved his wrath, but he says, my house must be full. So I'm going to invite people in to receive from me when what they really deserved was something completely different. Because his house must be full, and the two reasons for that is, number one, because of his great love for us. God is broken in his heart by the fact that we are living our lives far from him. There is no one who hurts more by injustice or is more deeply grieved by the hurt and suffering in this world than God our Father is. His heart isn't to just let us receive what it is that we're making for ourselves. His heart isn't to leave us to the just results of our actions. Because of his great love for us, He says, my house must be full. People must come in. And it's what led him to go to the cross so that he could make a way for us to come in. And that leads us to the second reason. His house must be full because of the great price that he paid to make the banquet available to us. He gave up the glory of heaven. He came... And identified with the weakest of us in the least position on the face of this earth as an occupied, despised people. He was poor. He was rejected by his own people. He was fully God, and yet he suffered every physical ailment that we suffer. And ultimately, he went to the cross where he was crucified by the people that he loved so much, though he had done nothing wrong. And in doing so, he paid the price for every one of our sins. So that now we have complete and full forgiveness and we stand righteous before our Father and we're able to come into the banquet table. We might be the blind, the lame, the lepers. We might be the prostitutes and the drunks, the greedy and everything else. But through Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of all of those things and we're invited into the banquet table to receive salvation and life with God. The price that he paid is so high That we can't let his house remain empty. That's unacceptable. That's why in heaven it says that they're sitting around saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, to receive the reward of your suffering. That's what God wants. The reward of his suffering is that we come into his family. The reward of his suffering is that we come and we pull up a seat at the table and we enjoy the banquet that he prepared at the cost of his own life. If Jesus was willing to lay down his life, then what can we hold back? If it was so important to him and his love for us was so great that he would die for us, then how could we say no to spending our lives pursuing the same cause? How could we say no because we don't want to give of our time, we don't want to give of our frustrations, we don't want to give of our finances? When Jesus laid down his life for us, we have to go all in for him too. Because this is life and death. It was five years ago that we planted this church. Seven of us that moved over here. And we were just seven people that had a dream that God gave us. So we looked at the city and we saw that less than two percent of the people here were a part of a church. And God broke our hearts, and we said it's unacceptable that that would be happening. God, we'll give everything that we have if you will come and if you will do something inside of the city of Ann Arbor and in Washington County, Jesus. We'll give up our lives and everything that we have to do that. And that's not a testament to us. That's a testament to how great God is, that we would say, you're so good and you're so worthy that we're going to do that for you. And what God's done over the last five years has been miraculous. Just the fact that we're still here. The 10 churches that planted the year that we planted, we're the only one that's left. When I look around at what it is that God's done how he's gathered people from every different walk of life into this one family. It's miraculous. When I think about the people that have accepted the invitation to enter into the banquet table and have received salvation, when I think of the marriages that were falling apart, that God came in and restored, when I think of even the marriages that ended up falling apart and God was still able to miraculously preserve the people, when I think of the healings that we've seen, and one of the things we prayed for was healings, and God has just done mind-blowing, crazy stuff that none of us can explain except for God just reached down from heaven and touched someone that did something miraculous. That's not us. It's God. When I think about the people that were suffering with hopelessness and despair and Jesus came in and there's a new hope that they found inside of him. When I look at the people who are now filled with joy, I see them, they're sitting at the banquet table, they're eating the things that God's prepared for them. When I look at that and I think, God, everything that we did for this, every sacrifice that we made, it was so worth it. And now, what God's doing is, is He's saying, it's time for more. And He's been positioning us for that. I believe that with all of my heart. Look where we are right now. Five months ago, we were in a movie theater. When I think about how much money you all gave in a two week time period so that we could be in this place, it was a miracle. I'm, meeting, uh, I'm on the board of another church, and they're looking at doing a capital campaign, which you know I hate those things. But when the guy heard how much money you all gave so that we could do this, he said, that's a miracle. It usually would take you two to three years to get that kind of money. You know why that happened? Because God's doing something. Because you all responded to what Jesus was doing in your heart. And why did God provide us with this building? It's because his house must be full. Because there are still hundreds of thousands of people in our county that are far from Jesus. And Jesus is telling us now that it's our turn to go out, to invite in the poor, the lame, the crippled. It's our turn to go to the highways and to the hedges and the byways and to invite people in so that they can sit at the table of the Heavenly Father and they can receive the life that he's provided for them. And that's the theme for this fifth year of our existence. The house must be full. The house must be full. Every single person is of infinite worth and value. They are so worthy, they're deserving of God's love because he created them to receive it. Every single person. There's not one who isn't. And that's why God is telling us, go out there, compel people to come in, Your family, your friends, people in your workplace, the colleagues, the people that you're meeting on the streets. Look for those divine appointments, but use everything you have. Lay your life down so that people can come into the banquet table of God. His house must be full. And that's the heart behind At the Movies. Why are we doing At the Movies? It's because we wanted to make the easiest, most simple way for us to invite everyone in where they can come in and something that doesn't feel threatening to them. It's really easy for us. Come to church with me. I don't like church. Well, we're watching a movie, so it's okay. Come to watch a movie with me. We should have done that when we were in the movie theater. It would have been a lot better. (laughs) But that's why we're doing this. That's why we're going to two services. is because this house must be full. It's awesome what you all did to give so that we could be in here. But now it's time to fill this place. It's time for this house to be full, not for our benefit. And it's fun to be at a church that's full. It's fun to be at a church where lots of people are coming in and stuff's happening. But you know why the house must be full? It's because people need what Jesus has to offer them. They're so hurt. They're so broken. They need what God has to provide for them. And because the price that Jesus paid was so high that we can't let it go to waste. As long as there's breath in my lungs, I'm going to be compelling people to come in and to receive what it is that God's prepared for them. Some people might say no and that's 100% okay. Someone might say yes and come and hate it and that's okay too. But someone might come in and they might encounter Jesus and they might be changed forever. It's worth it for that. It's worth it because Jesus is worthy and it's worth it Because every single person is worthy of the life that God has called them to. But it really is going to come down to this. Are we going to be the servants who go out? Jesus has prepared the feast. Jesus has prepared the house. Jesus has paid the price. Are we going to be the faithful servants who go out and invite everyone in? Or aren't we? Because Jesus has already done his part. Now it's time for us to do ours. So what we did was, under the seat in front of you, there's a little rack where, I guess, hymnals would normally go. We don't have hymnals. There's four invite cards there for at the movies. Jared and I put these out this week. And here's what we know. Statistically, 80% of all Americans would go to church with a friend if they were invited. 80%. That's really high odds. But also, what's really sad is only 2% of all Christians invite someone to go to church with them any year statistically, we just have to go out there and invite. So what I want you to do is I want you to take those four cards this week and I want you to pray and I want you to pray and I want you to give those away and not just give it away, but invite them, compel them, tell them how awesome it's going to be. Tell them how much fun it's going to be. Don't lie to them, but make it sound pretty good, even if you don't like me. Like, the guy's kind of (laughs) funny. He's all right. We're going to watch the movie. You don't have to worry about Pastor Jeremy. We're watching the movie. But compel them to come in. If you found life here, if you found the banquet of God here, then bring other people in too. We want to fill this house. And this is our commitment. We're going to keep doing this. Every week, over and over and over again, we're going to keep pushing, we're going to keep inviting, we're going to keep driving a culture of where we believe that we're the servants who are called to invite people into the house of God so that they can receive from him life and salvation and healing and hope and healing and reconciliation and everything else that only Jesus can provide for them because every person needs it and is worth it and because Jesus has paid such a high price. Would you all stand with me this morning? Because we're going to take communion together I'm going to invite the ushers to go ahead and pass out the elements. You know why we take communion? It's because it's a meal that we take. It's symbolic of the bread that you would eat at a meal. It's symbolic of the wine that you would drink when you were at a meal. It's something that happens around a table. It's something that happens at a banquet. And what Jesus is calling us to remember is that we're a family. We're a family, not by natural birth, but we're a family that was all adopted in. He made a place for us at the table by his body that was broken and by his blood that was shed. And the same body that was broken and the same blood that was shed that bought our salvation will do it for every other person on the face of this earth. So Father, we come before you And we recognize that we're recipients of something we didn't deserve. And we worship you for that.
1: You give light. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's Your breath in our lungs, so. Hope you restore
0: forgotten who I was before Jesus came to me. I'll never get over that. How undeserving I was. And what a miracle He's done in my heart. Bread is always a symbol of life. So when Jesus broke the bread and gave it to His disciples, it was showing us that His life was going to be broken that his life was going to be destroyed like that loaf was when he tore it, so that that life could be given to us. So as we eat the bread this morning, we remember the broken body of Jesus that brings us new life. And when he gave them The wine that was a symbol of the new covenant said, The blood of the new covenant that atones for your sins. The blood of Jesus doesn't just excuse your sins, it doesn't cover over them, it completely removes them from you like it never happened. We're able to stand before our Father, we're able to enter into the banquet that He's prepared. Because though we were lost, though we were broken, though we were so unworthy he made us worthy by his own blood so as we drink the juice together this morning remember the the blood that Jesus shed for the atonement of our sins Father thank you for the salvation that you've provided thank you for the redemption from sin that all we have to do is put our faith in you to confess that you are Lord and believe that in our hearts, and we're made into sons and daughters of the living God. We're seated at the banquet table, and we receive life from you. Jesus, when we look around, we see there's room for more at this table that you've put us in. God, we pray that this week that you would fill us with boldness and that you'd fill us with courage. Jesus, we pray that this week we would be overwhelmed once again by how good you are, that there would be a fresh and new conviction of how powerful you are, that you're able to move on any heart, that you're able to work in any circumstance, any situation. You can bring life into it. You can bring hope. You can bring healing. You can bring joy. And Jesus, as we pray for people as we invite them, God, we pray that there will be responsiveness in their hearts. And Jesus, that we pray that through this, this fall season, God, that as we're continuing to seek after you, we're continuing to pursue the people in our city. Jesus, as we go to compel them, would you move in their hearts, God, that there would be receptiveness. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to people? Holy Spirit, would you break down every barrier? Would you break down every defense, God? Would you silence every lie that the enemy's been speaking to them? Would you break through the hardness of every heart? Jesus, there are people here who have been praying for children, who've been praying for siblings and spouses that are far from you for a really long time, for friends and co-workers, Jesus, we ask that that you would honor every one of those prayers that's been prayed. God, that you would see the brokenness in them and in the people you've been praying for, because we know that it matches up with the brokenness of your heart as you look at them and you see them far from you. Jesus, we pray for miracles. We pray for salvation. We pray for the life that only you can give. God, we believe that the house must be full. We go out as faithful servants. Bless everything we put our hand to for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have my prayer partner. It's going to be uh, in the front here on the sides. If there's anything that we can be praying with you about, And we would love to do that because Jesus does so many incredible things every single week. If not, grab the invite cards, go out there, get some coffee, make some friends, and spend this week compelling people to come in so they can find the same thing in their life that you found in yours through Jesus. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week for At The Movies, 9 and 11 a.m. God bless.